Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart 90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeart Radio music channels. No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bop Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. What's up, Open Floor Globe? This is Ben Golver with The Washington Post, and I'm joined on the other line by a very special guest. It's Haley O'Shaughnessy of Blue Wire Podcast. Now, Haley, she's hit the big time. She's got her own show, so she is here to talk all about it uh, as part of her gigantic promotional tour. Haley, I've got to say, this feels a little bit like a family reunion. I feel like maybe you're my long-lost cousin. We have so many mutual acquaintances that speak so highly of you, but I don't think we've ever done a podcast together. So just like a family reunion, I'm not going to bore you. I'm not going to say, hey, Haley, what is a podcast? That's the question I always get when I go to family reunions. So I'll ask you that second question. What's your new podcast about? First of all, thank you for having me. I am a longtime listener ever since our very famous friend, Paolo Ugetti, recommended the show to me. Um, So I'm very excited to be on. The podcast is called Spinsters. It's a basketball show. And my co-host is Jordan Liggins, who is infinitely smarter and funnier than I could ever be. So I really lucked out there. Uh, Jordan and I have joked about doing a podcast for years. And the show is essentially all of our ideas and ruminations from that time to today. So I'm very excited about it. I love it. Well, I was speaking with some of the executives at Blue Wire a couple months ago, just randomly, and they were raving about you. They were calling you like the franchise player. They were so excited for this show. I don't even know if you guys had the name at that point. So uh, it's something I've been looking forward to for a while. You mentioned Paolo and a lot of the people uh, over at The Ringer. I think you worked with Matt Dollinger, who was my longtime editor um, at Sports Illustrated. So, you know, I think that they would all say you really crafted your niche on Twitter, frankly. I mean, you're one of the few redeeming positive qualities of NBA Twitter left at this point. I think as the time passes, it just gets tougher and tougher to kind of wade through NBA Twitter. At least it does for me. I still remember the glory days of like 2010, kind of the wild, wild west back then. 
But I'm curious, are you going to kind of translate your Twitter feed, which is just, I mean, you have a lot of heater takes, I got to say. You're just really bringing it straight, you know, and, and not uh, beating around the bush. Is that the vibe of this new podcast or you know, how would you describe your, your kind of approach to it? Well, first of all, I appreciate that. And yes, that's the goal. Second, I, people always say this, that I have a lot of takes. I'm like, I, do I? Next time I send it to me because I don't, I genuinely am just like, this is a fact. This is what I think is true. Um, there are so many things that we have in the works that that do reflect what you were saying, like Jordan and I's shared sense of curiosity and joy with basketball. So we have deep dives planned. We have uh, looks into the origins of modern NBA trends, what's going on right now, how the outside world informs basketball and vice versa. And there's there are just so many subjects I'm curious about that I'm not the best person to tell. So we also have some really great reporters crafting stories for the show. And I mean, little did you know, I'm actually coming on open floor to pitch you in real time to come on our show and do that and use our, your reporting skills. But Look, bring it on. If there's anything I like more than plugging stuff, which you could already tell because we've just been plugging for nonstop for the first five minutes of this podcast, but I love pitches, especially like impromptu pitches. So I'm at your disposal completely. Hey, um, you know, the big news of today, I guess, or you want to say yesterday was really this all-star snubs conversation. If you don't mind, we'll just dig in deep to this because... Um, you know, a lot of hurt feelings, right? A lot of people kind of like letting it out positively, negatively, like I'm glad I made it. Zach Levine, I mean, seems like he's on a media tour celebrating his selection. And and certainly that was, um, you know, a long time in waiting because he wanted it last year. But you also have guys like Chris Middleton just gritting their teeth, or you got the agents for Tobias Harris and DeMar DeRozan expressing their frustration and, and consternation. And I mean, here's how it broke down. Uh, in the Eastern Conference, James Harden made it, Ben Simmons, Jason Tatum, Nikola Vucevic, Jalen Brown, Zach Levine, and Julius Randle. They got in. Western Conference, Chris Paul, Anthony Davis, Paul George, Damian Lillard, Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell, and Zion Williamson all got in. That left a bunch of snubs. Chris Middleton, Trey Young, Fred Van Vliet, Bam Adebayo, Jimmy Butler, Demonis Sabonis, Tobias Harris. And in the West, you've got Devin Booker, I believe I have to call him Book, according to the article. So Book, Mike Conley, De'Aaron Fox, and DeMar DeRozan were all snubbed. Before we start to nitpick some of these names, Haley, um, how would you handle being in this situation if you had to be snubbed like this? I feel like it's kind of underrated in terms of how embarrassing it would be and how frustrating it would be. And I don't mind it at all when guys catch feelings about getting snubbed. What do you think? Honestly, okay, here's a quick question for you because this is the first thing my mind likens it to for normal people, for non-NBA players. Have you have you ever had a friend who got ghosted really bad? Of course. I mean, is this like a hypothetical friend or are you just asking me if I've been ghosted? But I, I was, it, the answer like, is yes, both I'm ways. Being polite. I'm being polite. <laughs> like when that person just drops off the face of the earth and then they resurface on Instagram a week later posting a picture with their new girlfriend or boyfriend. Yes. Th what if that happened in front of everybody? That is like exactly what I think it would be like. It's so hard when you're clearly putting in the effort and then it's not only unsuccessful, but it's so unsuccessful that you don't even get recognized in the reserves and for a lot of these guys i i could see the case if the conferences weren't so packed if this wasn't such a, a small roster that they could be starters even it's just these are so top heavy but knowing how much pride i have 
but also knowing how I wouldn't want to look like I was just arguing for myself. I pray to God that in this situation, I would have a Camille Adams by my side who would just oh, like, right. I, I could come out and say, I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. I feel a little disrespected. And then she comes in and she's like, look, she's averaging 27.8 points per game with a 110.45 offensive rating, higher assist to turnover ratio than LeBron, whatever she has to say, refreshing my stats. Like that's, that's how I think I would handle it. No, she's the all-time ride or die. I mean, you know, Bradley Beal's wife, she will cite every statistic from basketball reference. I mean, she might even get into real plus minus and like the real dorky stuff like warp. I mean, if necessary to stand up for Bradley Beal's honor, you really have to respect it. That's actually a great end around. So do you think Bradley Beal's like feeding her these details? Do you think the agent is coming up with the talking points and they're just like basically using her almost as like the head of PR in this situation? Is this a coordinated action or do you think it's just completely spontaneous that she's just so frustrated that she can't help herself? Honestly, I could kind of see that one going either way. I wouldn't have a problem with it either way because, you know, there's millions of dollars at stake sometimes on these all-star selections. It is such a political process it really does feel like, honestly, the coaches kind of did it for the gram this year, if I'm being honest. like They just picked the guys who got a lot of hype, whether it's Julius Randle, Zach Levine. They overlook a Chris Middleton who is never going to be able to kind of, you know, really build up public momentum because he's just, you know, kind of a flat and, and fairly boring personality. And so I think in, in that situation, like if I was Middleton, I would be livid. Like if I got snubbed the same way that he did, I think my internal monologue would just be like five minutes long straight of here's why I'm better than Levine. Here's why I'm better than Randall. I've been doing it for years. I do it in the playoffs. I'm a team, you know, first guy. I could get better numbers. I would just be going on and on in my head. But I do think you're right. It's the public perception part of it where you get in front of that camera and then you just kind of have to swallow your pride and say, yeah, I'm really happy for all the first time guys. Congratulations. Good work. And then you're just sort of left saying like, yeah, I'm a little frustrated by it. I feel like I could envision myself living that Chris Middleton experience, and that's why I'm so upset on his behalf. Milwaukee's <laughs> winning. It's hard to win this year. He's putting up monster numbers, efficient stats. Like, let's please just reward this guy. He's one of the 12 best players in the Eastern Conference this season, no question about it. And I, my heart goes out to him. Maybe it shouldn't. Am I just taking this too seriously, Haley? I mean, I think it's fine to have a lot of sympathy for players who you want to be more recognized. I, I think if his name wasn't Chris Middleton, and this is like a long, I don't know if it's like a, a, a long standing thing or if it's just something that me and my friends always say, but the more like your name lends to a cool basketball nickname, if his name was like Chris shots or something. Yeah. It'd be way. I mean, he's Chris Middleton. That's never getting put in a Drake song, which leads me to my snub. Which is funny because I, I'm not really super passionate about All-Star. Like, the fans vote. Fans will tell you anything. Like, even a casual Mavs fan would ardently argue that Jalen Brunson deserves a spot. Like, I, you know, it's just, it's not like all NBA to me. But at the same time, I get why people care about it. It's not, I'm not super passionate about it. But Devin Booker, if I had to say something that I thought was kind of ridiculous, I, I would say leaving him out felt ridiculous to me. And then to your point about, you know, the the people who picked subscribing to narrative, that that's kind of what's going on with him there. I mean, we're all human. And subconsciously, I, I think Chris Paul was picked over him because there's this thought that the Suns were hopeless until he came along, which is untrue. And that it's a messy losing organization. They couldn't do this until an outside force came in. 
he's a good stats, bad team guy, Booker, not not Chris Paul, obviously. And, but at some point, all of these advanced stats are so close. And even the the basic stats, you're, you're like, okay, the decision has to do with your own personal attached narrative. And I genuinely think that's where Devin Booker was passed over. No, fair enough. I mean, look, I, I would just say on my picks, I had Chris Paul, I left off Booker. Booker was one of the toughest cuts. And when you see the kind of uh, resounding uh, support he's getting from his fellow players, I mean, LeBron James coming coming out and saying, oh, it's disrespect, CJ McCollum getting in on it, former players, Reggie Miller, uh, Jamal Crawford, they're all getting in on it. It kind of felt like a power play to me, Haley. It kind of felt like they were saying, technically, NBA commissioner Adam Silver gets to pick the injury replacement for Anthony Davis, but it kind of felt like the players were saying, hey, this is who you need to pick to replace Anthony Davis. And I haven't really quite seen it be that um, coordinated and and loud in that sense. And, you know, because Phoenix has been winning at such a high clip, I think it's completely defensible for them to have uh, two picks. Now, if you had guys like, I don't know, a De'Aaron Fox or um, some of these other players who got in or if they had gotten in with worse records than Phoenix, that would have rubbed me the wrong way. Um, you know, I do think that Zion had a case, you know, going back to your idea about having a name that's going to get you selected. I mean, it's hard not to be an all-star selection if your name is Zion Williamson. I mean, especially if you're dunking like he dunks. And so maybe some people would kind of quibble Zion versus Booker. And, and I can see that conversation too. It would be amazing to me if Adam Silver just went like super duper old school dad move and pick Mike Conley instead of Booker, did not listen to the superstars, picks Mike Conley, rewards the winning, rewards the career achievement, and just says, yeah, Utah, they deserve three players, even though there was like absolutely no caping for Mike Conley outside of Utah yesterday. What do you think the fallout would be from that? Do you think the players would like get angry and go at Adam Silver if he did that? I don't know. I I, I kind of wish that All-Star, or at least something, was exclusively picked by the players. The truth is we'll just never know as much as them who deserves it. They are way more qualified. Um, they're actually playing against them. And that's when a when a player says this guy's underrated, you really should always listen. I'm not sure. I think it'd probably get a, a worse public reaction, but that's kind of where I tap out because I'm like, yeah, okay, cool. that's great for him. It seems like it's really hurt his feelings in the past, which is totally legitimate. Um, so I don't know that the players would get that mad because I, I think they're pretty conscious of like wanting to to respect each other in, in that level. If you come out against someone who's such a hard worker like Mike Conley and has the reputation of like putting his head down and not complaining, I I think that'd be kind of weird. No, that's a great point. I mean, now is the time to make the case for Booker because if you wait to like express your outrage at him getting snubbed after Silver makes his all-star replacement, then you're just like specifically singling out one guy and, and saying, oh yeah, Booker deserved it more than Conley. And that's, you know, I think that would be crossing the line, you know, a lot of these uh, professional code situations. So great point there. Um, of the other guys who were snubbed, you know, I, I mentioned some of them. I thought I was fine with Trey Young being left off. Um, you know, Fred Van Vliet made a late push. I think that he just quite, you know, he couldn't quite get enough momentum to get in there. I would have had Bam Adebayo. I mean, I think that you look at his numbers and all just the chaos around him in Miami. I think that he really had a shot. 
I picked Sabonis. He was snubbed. I, I'm not particularly mad about that one. Did any of these other names uh, jump out to you as points of frustration? I, I sense that I'm probably taking this about three times more seriously than I should, and you have a healthier perspective on these things, Ailey. But anyone else who you felt like, you know what? It just would have been cool if they were in Atlanta, or they deserve to be in Atlanta, or it's too bad there wasn't one extra spot to fit them in. Anybody else in that category? Uh, yeah, you're you're right. I'm kind of like not... I sit a lot of intense arguments out. Like I think Candy Corn is fine and MJ versus LeBron. I'm like, ah, I can see both sides. How how old is the person? <laughs> but I, I would say Middleton, that's sad. You know, he really should be recognized more. He is legitimately very good and I don't think he gets recognized for it. Maybe, um, maybe you know, them doing super well in the playoffs will kind of like bump up that, that reputation for him. Although there was that hilarious tweet today. I forget who tweeted it. That was talking about how his biggest factor for all-star was like the last playoffs. And I just want to be clear (laughs) that that is not what I'm saying. Um, As far as bam, Ben, they're 10th in the East. Does that not, that doesn't matter to you? No, it, it does. It just, I feel like with both Miami and Dallas and even Washington too, frankly, because they actually had to take like a two week spring break in the middle of their season uh, because of COVID. I feel like those were the three teams that maybe you treat with an asterisk, just treat them a little bit differently because of the high volume of players affected by the protocols. And for me, like it's always going to be about, I, I liked all the most boring stuff. You know, I want to see guys play both sides of the basketball. I want to see them play consistently. I want to see them t- contribute to winning when possible. And, you know, Miami, I just felt like Bam con- controlled everything he could have controlled this season. And he was just out there playing with third stringers and fourth stringers. And, you know, I'm pretty confident that, you know, by the end of the season, they're going to be in a much better position record wise. I do think that's the strongest argument against him. And actually, it's a strong argument in favor of Randall, frankly, because no one saw New York's record coming. He is driving a lot of that success, especially on the offensive end. And so, you know, that one to me, it wasn't as outrageous. I just wish they could have found a spot for Chris Middleton. Do you think it's the mid part of Middleton that's getting people down? Because that's like slang now, if I'm not mistaken, right? Of like, it's, <laughs> it's not great to be mid. And he actually, they call him mid too. That's like his nickname. Is that what's holding him back, Haley? You need a great nickname. I can't stress it enough. We could go through the all-star roster, and I actually am not confident in this, but I'm going to go ahead and say that they probably all have good or at least decent nicknames. Mid is like the absolute worst. That's an insult. That's an insult. They should have shortened something else. I'm going through them right now on the spot, and you're right. I mean, so you've got Dame, you've got PG-13, you've got AD, you've got CP3. So that's part of Middleton's problem is the initials KM. I mean, come on, that is not not something that you can say. Yeah, and then you've got Stifle Tower, you've got Spida, Zion. I mean, a lot of these guys do have really good nicknames. So that's uh, maybe that's part of his image management that he can work for next year. You know, roll that out on Instagram and see how it goes. Speaking of image management, I have a huge problem in my life right now, Haley, and I need your help with it because my co-host on this show, Michael Pina, is brilliant. He writes these incredible articles, you know, deep dives into Michael Porter Jr.'s defense. He's just thrashing Michael Porter for no good reason other than, you know, kind of just point and laugh. And I appreciate that dark side to him. He also is a generally optimistic person, can see the good side of everyone. He doesn't want to give up on the Boston Celtics yet. Um, he wants to believe that Christian Wood, had he stayed healthy, would have been an all-star. He's He's got a great mind, but he's got a blind spot right now. And, and it's not alone. He's not the only person who suffers from this. Michael lives in Brooklyn, 
but he refuses to embrace the Brooklyn Nets. It doesn't matter how well they play on offense. He'll just kind of nitpick their defense. It doesn't matter how good James Harden looks. Michael will just kind of focus on the fact that James Harden left Houston in pretty ugly circumstances. And then there's the Kyrie factor. You know, Michael's a Celtics guy. Kyrie kind of broke his heart there in Boston. Now he's thriving in Brooklyn. And a similar thing with Harden, by the way, kind of broke Michael's heart. He's a a Rocket supporter as well. And now he's thriving and playing the best basketball of his career and kind of playing exactly how everybody wanted him to play now that he's gotten to Brooklyn. But as I mentioned, this is not a Michael-only problem. There's a lot of people I I kind of feel are still keeping the Nets at arm's length. Do you feel the same way? Like, they really haven't gotten the bandwagon or the gravy train going, even though they've been, you know, one of the most impressive teams in the entire league so far? Well, if a sports fan's argument against a team is seems maybe a little bit irrational, I'm not saying that Michael's is, but if it's based off like Kyrie broke my heart and Harden wasn't, he didn't really leave um, Houston in a super nice way. And then he uh, violated COVID protocols, which is after years of defending him with the strip clubs and the coming to camp out of shape and, you know, the maybe not playing great defense after years of defending him. I mean, who among us has not? been in a strip club the night before a playoff game that's too far for me that's i mean people are dying james this is like such a a terrible look and a terrible thing to do i can i understand that one too if it's a little bit like i'm not super crazy about these guys um then i think that's fair it's sports you know you can you get to do and think whatever you want, no matter how irrational it is. But as far as not believing in the actual team, I have heard Michael's opinions on their defense, and I think that's completely legitimate. Two things that are always really important in the playoffs are defense and depth. Uh, Do you want to tell me what's going on with (laughs) our center situation? (laughs) Because it's a little dark for me to bring up. No, Haley, I mean, you're the backup five. Uh, Sorry, I know you're real busy with this new show. It's ghosts in Brooklyn. You're playing 18 minutes off the bench for the Nets, and and Steve Nash would like to see a little better effort on the glass. There's no question. Um, Look, I'm not trying to make this a Michael-only issue, and certainly his concerns are completely valid where they're going to have to make some moves here at the trade deadline or the buyout market just to kind of pick some people up. I I know they cut some players recently before the contract guarantee date, so they're kind of right back where they started after, you know, picking up some of these guys as short-term uh, you know, replacements or, or fill-ins or stand-ins, however you want to phrase it. But I guess my broader point here is that, I mean, we have a legitimate quote-unquote super team in a major market in a city that hasn't had a good basketball team in an awful long time. And it just happens to have fallen into Michael's lap. And I feel like with a little bit of massaging, right, like a little bit of image management or maybe we're, you know, blunt force narrative driving, we can kind of help people get over their hangups. And I'm right there with you. I mean, the James Harden COVID stuff was completely inexcusable. The honey bun, granted, legitimately funny. I like little baby, but also at the same time, not entirely funny in context and certainly deserve to be punished by the NBA league office. I think much more stiffly than they actually did. But at some point, 
they're going to be making a playoff push here in the pretty near future, right? We're going to have to be breaking down like Brooklyn Nets versus Milwaukee Bucks or Brooklyn Nets versus Philadelphia 76ers. Like they're going to be a central piece of this conversation. And you look at the schedule release, um, you know, that came out here on Wednesday and it's like Sunday night game. Who did the NBA want to put on ABC? Los Angeles Lakers and Brooklyn Nets, LeBron James, Kevin Durant. Like it kind of feels like we might be headed that way for uh, the NBA finals as well, but uh, certainly there's a lot of basketball left to be played. So if I put you in charge of the Brooklyn Nets marketing and I was like, look, Ailey, we have to convince Michael to, you know, he doesn't have to be a fanboy, but he at least has to like kind of open his mind to exactly this team's ceiling, their height, their potential. He needs to focus a little bit less on the negatives and more on the positives. Like, how would you approach that challenge? Because I guarantee you there's people doing that right now um, in these boardrooms thinking like, we've got three of the seven most entertaining players um, in the league right now. And yet we really haven't built up that same level of like Warriors mystique or even Lakers mystique that we've seen from years past. I don't want to linger on this too much because fashion is subjective, but oh my God, those jerseys are so bad. <laughs> They're so bad. It looks like a preschool soccer team logo. I I hate them. Um, I I really think patience is key. I think it's it's fine. It's their first season all playing together. The playoffs are where we really build out admiration for teams. Um, if you think about Denver last year, I have a completely different perception of them and their capability and their lovability after Jamal Murray and Jokic played the way that they did in the last playoffs. And honestly, I feel like we should we should worry less about the masses. I mean, Mina Kimes, a complete legend, is now a fan, so where Mina Kimes builds it, fans will come. But as much as we worry about them, I also think let's worry about Steve Nash a little bit. Yeah, the man is is juggling minutes between DeAndre Jordan and like you said earlier, me like I, you know, I don't have much experience. I was cut in seventh grade from basketball, so I'm worried about them there. But like before this, Steve Nash was just enjoying life. He was going to bars in South Bay. He was a terrible Premier League commentator. He was consulting the championship warriors. And now he's the face of a terrible defense at one time the worst defense in history, but not anymore. But I mean, well, you know what? I'm going back on that. It's still possible. It's still possible. They could get back to that depth. Look, I'm not taking anything for granted with this group. If they they, want to be the worst defense in the NBA. Absolutely could. It's really, really bad, like alarmingly bad. And that's where whenever I hear Michael bring that up, I'm like, yeah, that's kind of the, that's kind of the checkmate. That's the, the end of the conversation. No, no, fair enough. So let's go back to these jerseys. Which ones bother you? Because I got to say, I get bothered by all of them because they have the just a plain black and white, which definitely look like, hey, we ordered these from East Bay. We just got the simplest design because they East were Bay like- in, in 2008, to be clear. It, it, oh, yeah. Well, I'm a little bit older. So I was going to say East Bay in like 1997. But yeah, fair point. <laughs> um, the, the cheapest possible version, right? But then they break out the retro one. And it's sort of like this cloud blue with the red- and I mean, at the time when they originally brought those out, they were, I mean, they were pretty wild at the original ones, but it was a wilder time. I think it kind of worked better. I'm not sure these pull, they're pulling these ones off. And then when their entire aesthetic is like the gray court, it's all very subdued, right? I don't know exactly what they were going for um, with the way they designed their court pattern. Those jerseys will give you a headache. It'll give you a migraine, you know? So which one of those, like, is it the black ones, like the plain black ones that bother you or those, the, the bright blue retros or both? 
the the black ones i'm not crazy about the red blue ones disgust me they're so bad <laughs> and then also the gray court is is really bad as well you know how there's seasonal depression like because you're not getting enough light outside and there's all kinds of factors the days are shorter I get that when I look at their court. I'm not kidding. It drains me. It's like that energy vampire from what we do in the shadows. I look at it and I instantly <laughs> like I have to take a nap at halftime, which I usually yeah. I, to be fair, I do during most games. I love a good halftime nap, but especially during Nets games, I just think the color scheme is is really bad. Um, hopefully after they have more success, which they inevitably will, I, I really can't see them like getting out in the in the first round or i can see them going past the second pretty easily um that's definitely realistic hopefully they'll they'll look more into like okay we're still people still aren't buying the jerseys i wonder why yeah what you're describing right now is sort of like a drooping plant aesthetic you know like if there's just not enough sunlight on your plant and it's just slowly starting to slump to the side that's not what we're going for that's why these guys need the makeover so bad so it starts with the jerseys it starts with the new court design when they release those new retro jerseys I thought they were photoshopped. I was like, there's no way they're putting my guy Kevin Durant in this thing. They're really making him pose in a photo shoot with this jersey, but they were. That was a little bit frustrating. You know, you mentioned Harden earlier. I do feel like, is he the stumbling stumbling block in this entire equation, right? Where the statute of limitations on when people are going to forgive him just hasn't really been reached yet. And I think that Let's be honest, even in Houston, he was kind of a difficult player to love, a very easy player to hate. He did everything possible to get himself out of town and did not care whatsoever how many people that frustrated or angered. He just went ahead and did it, you know, pulled no punches um, and it worked. I mean, he's getting backlash from his teammates, from the Houston fan base, you know, right down the list, right? Is it just a matter of it's too early for anyone to like kind of swallow this like, you know, James Harden's comeback narrative? Because... I do feel like it's just complete dorks like me and Jeff Van Gundy, no disrespect to Jeff Van Gundy, who are like hyping up James Harden right now and saying, hey, maybe he should be in the MVP conversation. Maybe he needs to be discussed as among the very best players in the Eastern Conference. And the average person who's watching this is like, wait a minute, we can't be talking about the same guy like this. You know, this was only two months ago and, and you're already ready to kind of flip the page. Is it possible that they're just going to wind up going into the playoffs because of Harden's presence as sort of like the team everybody is rooting for to go out, right? Like if you're saying they reach the second round, I mean, I think that's absolutely likely. I would expect them to make the conference finals, if not more. But let's say they lost in the second round. Don't you think the masses are going to be like celebrating? Like, isn't this like kind of the most hated team in the league right now? You know, actually, I I will say that a, a year ago, I wrote a piece about... Will we ever love James Harden? Obviously, that was before the Houston exit. But I've never had a problem with somebody who found a way to take advantage of the current game and current offenses. And I've always liked him, and I I do enjoy watching him play. And if nothing else, he is outsmarting people. I really don't think you can say... Well, people are saying, but I'm not saying he's not entertaining. He really entertains me. He's been amazing. But I actually don't think people deep down want to see him do poorly in the playoffs. It's like rooting for the under when you bet on the under. It's awful. You're like, oh, my God, <laughs> don't do anything fun or exciting. I 
it's really disappointing and a weird feeling when you see Harden go out the way that he's gone out over the years. And I, although some people would probably be glad to say, I told you so afterwards, I really don't think that they would prefer that over, wow, he finally broke through. That's so interesting. So yeah, I, I honestly don't think that that is going to be how it happens for him or the Nets. Yeah. I mean, Katie, yeah. Katie to me is like the same. He was extremely unlovable for a while because he went to the Warriors and everyone hated that. But he's still so much fun to watch. And honestly, same thing with Kyrie. Like people don't like him because there's there's similar off court narrative problems. But he is also very very fun to watch. And they are frustrating sometimes, except for KD um, defensively with Kyrie and then Harden. You know, with the free throws, everyone seems to have a problem with that. But that is far outweighed by all the fun stuff they do on the court. So here's my thing. I always try to imagine like what's the best case scenario, what's the worst case scenario for like potentially for finals matchups or storylines just to kind of like get my wheels turning before we actually get there. Let's say the Nets actually do make the finals and James Harden is like on the cusp of winning a title and putting all of those demons behind him. It will be so interesting to see if people rally to his defense or not. And I kind of feel like the way he left Houston is going to keep people away. Um, this goes back to when KD won his first title with the Golden State Warriors. Like I was right there ready to pound the drum. KD finally did it. He slayed LeBron. Like we have to start thinking about him as the best player in basketball. And I really felt like I surprised I was out there on an island, not by myself, but it was more like, well, he joined Steph's team. Of course they won. They're a super team. And people weren't really like that enthusiastic about it on Kevin Durant's behalf. Like I felt like it was sort of me. And then that Nike commercial that they did to honor KD, and that was sort of like all <laughs> KD got in the positive column, and everybody else was sort of like lukewarm to negative. And I do wonder, like, you know, if Harden and the Nets get there, if he's going to be facing that, but even worse. But I still think for the NBA's best case scenario, I mean, Lakers, Nets in the finals, I do think that would do monster numbers. I think it would get people talking. I think it would give that showdown of LeBron versus KD. The rematch, you know, compared to like young KD back in the Oklahoma City days, I think that would be excellent from a storytelling standpoint. But I almost wonder, like, is this season so weird and everything so different? Are we just destined for the Utah Jazz to go through the playoffs like 16 and three and just spoil everything and just never miss a shot for a month and a half? And then the season's over. Like, is that out of the question? Well, as far as you being uh, alone and supporting some unpopular players or players who have made unpopular decisions. I hope you see that that is a through line with you because you just gave the Kevin Durant <laughs> example. You gave the Nets example. Um, you're willing to overlook the defense, which is or was at one point historically bad, like we said earlier. And you're also you were making the case for Harden to be on the East All-Stars, even though he uh, you know, left the West pretty bad, gave up while he was in the West. So I hope you see that this is a through line with you and I I really admire it and I wish more NBA fans were a little bit more forgiving but that's okay we ne all need to to take our spitefulness out somewhere. Um, I think I think it might be a different flaw honestly. I'm not sure it's that I'm overly forgiving because I feel like in my daily life I'm actually like kind of a grudge holder. I think it's I just bend to the talent. I bow to the talent too much, you know? It's just sort of like I can kind of appreciate KD in a vacuum. And so therefore, I almost don't really consider the other relationships around him, maybe who he hurt by leaving Oklahoma City, 
all I'm really focused in on is his game. And so if you put him in Golden State, of course, I'm going to appreciate Kevin Durant. You put him in Brooklyn, same deal. And kind of the same thing with Harden. Look, I drew the line at the COVID stuff. I mean, that should have been a monster, monster fine. There's no way around it. But I wasn't even that upset that he quit on the Rockets. I kind of feel like the Rockets organization quit on him. Got to say it. I don't know if that's a hot take, but when they get rid of Mike D'Antoni, they can't keep Daryl Morey in-house. All these other people are leaving. They wind up trading Westbrook. And they're coming off a season where he leaves the bubble and he says, hey, we're one player away from a, a t- competing for a title, which, you know, he was probably like being a little optimistic with that statement. But um, I feel like he just felt like they pushed him over the edge and he just had to, you know, do whatever he could and respond. But again, maybe you're right. Maybe I'm being too forgiving here and, and uh, you oh, know, taking no, his no, side no. in this dispute. No, to be clear, I, I like it. I'm the same way as I I tend to be really a big fan of the players and I think the on-court stuff really takes away any off-court stuff with limits of course like the in the Harden situation um, where he violated COVID protocols but I honestly think it's just a way more fun uh, way to be a fan and so yeah I completely agree with you on that that is the type of person I am as well it, it's the reason why I liked Harden and Russell Westbrook when there was the entire debate that no longer exists now because Russell Westbrook (laughs) is definitely not on the same level anymore. But I loved both of them because I thought Russ was so much fun to watch play. And I'm also very good at ignoring analytics when I want to. And I also thought Harden (laughs) was so wonderful himself. And so, yeah, I'm, again, not taking any hard stances against people one way or the other. Let's say it's Lakers, Nets. We get that finals. Somehow the defense holds up and, you know, you guys are right to raise these questions. I definitely watch the Nets with my eyes like three quarters closed, especially when they're on the defensive end. Who are you going to, I mean, who who are you quote unquote rooting for? Or like, which storyline do you want to see? Do you want to see LeBron gets another one getting close to Mike? Um, you know, he gets his fifth ring. Do you want to see Harden get over the hump? Do you want to see Kyrie, you know, prove to everybody who doubted him for two years that, um, you know, he could, you know, be reliable and consistent enough through a playoff series? Do you want KD to complete the Achilles comeback? Do you want Anthony Davis to sell some more Ruffles potato chips? I mean, which of these storylines is getting you the most excited? Man, I would love for that um, car oil commercial to be taken off the air forever. No offense, <laughs> yes. like the Ruffles commercial is way better, but that one's pretty tough. Um, like, oh, try to reach for the mute every single time it comes on League Pass, which it really doesn't that much anymore. Um, I, oh, I'm so sorry because you invited me on this podcast so graciously, and I'm about to be like, oh, I don't care again. But I, I would love to see really any combination. I'm a huge LeBron fan, like very openly. Um, probably one of my my worst moments since I've uh, gotten hired to be in sports media was openly crying on a podcast when when people brought up him uh, growing older and maybe aging out of the game. That was two years ago, by the way, and he still has not. So I, just a round of applause again for him. I know not he's aging at all. I, I leading really... the Lakers in minutes right now. AD goes down. He just steps it up and puts more on his shoulders. And what I love about LeBron, he is com- in complete denial that he ever gets tired. There will never be a situation in his life where LeBron will admit that he's actually tired in that moment. He denied it for like a month straight in the bubble. You watch some of these games recently. I mean, for LeBron, it's always 
settling for long jumpers, turnovers, and then less defensive uh, intensity. Those are the three warning signs when he's tired. We've seen all three warning signs this past week. Not his fault because AD's out and he's, of course, trying to step into that leadership void. And yet still in these postgame comments, not tired. I'm here to play. You know, this is my job. I just love that aspect about LeBron. Yeah, I do too. Um, and he, I would love for him to get another one. I would love for, you know, it would it would kind of quiet the debate. But then again, I don't know if it would quiet the debate. And I really don't want to get into it because it is the most exhausting debate in sports. But there are people who are always going to lean one way. There are people who are always going to lean the other way. And I really think that we're all a little bit too irrational to be like, oh, wow, his ring count got higher. Let me completely change my position. Like, how often does that happen in any debate? No, I mean, how to, they wrote books about this, how to win friends and influence people. How can you change someone's mind? I mean, this, it's very, very difficult. Um, I mean, LeBron, if he gets sick, so I've always been a Mike guy. I mean, because that was the guy I grew up with, right? If LeBron gets to six and he's got every other raw statistical category advantage, and then we're all sitting around here and we're just like, well, people loved Mike more than they loved LeBron. Like that would be the last remaining argument, I think, in in Mike's defense if the ring count was equal. You know, that would be the situation where I'd really have to start thinking twice, thinking three times, you know, digging deep into my rhetorical bag to kind of stand up and, and stand for Michael Jordan. But I do think like the biggest story that could come out from that finals would be LeBron winning another one, in part because you've got people nitpicking this bubble title because they didn't really have to, they'd have to go through Steph, they'd have to go through Giannis, they'd have to go through KD. Um, they got the Rockets at a pretty down moment. The Heat had all those injuries. So if the Lakers do turn back around, and run through this playoffs and, and beat some pretty impressive teams. I think that's going to really help LeBron's legacy. Will it change minds? Your point is very well taken. Probably not. Um, speaking of changing minds, last question here on this subject of the Brooklyn Nets. I kind of think I know where you're going with this because it sounds like your team, Michael. However, my final question is this. Should Michael Pina get over it and learn to love these Brooklyn Nets, to think on the positive side about them, to explore their strengths rather than harping on their weaknesses, or should he double down and just become the anti-Nets guy in Brooklyn? What is your advice to Michael Pina? Let me clarify. Are you asking if he should tap into their lovability factor or their competency factor? Well, I just think that he's selling them short right now, right? I think that he's afraid to to welcome Harden back into his life because of the scars, right? I think that uh, he does actually like Kyrie's game more than I expected. But, uh, you know, I think that there's still some skepticism. I'm just, you know, would you nudge him in that direction or would you say no? Like, you know, because last year, for example, he picked against the Lakers in all four rounds of the playoffs. He just went down with the ship and it was actually so much fun. It was like the most fun we've ever had as a podcast because all the Lakers fans were up in arms. Michael was loving it. He was leaning into it. So should he do the same thing with the Brooklyn Nets? Or should he become the Brooklyn Nets guy who's, you know, I'm here reporting live from the corner of Flatbush and Fulton and the Brooklyn Nets are sweeping the NBA. I mean, should he be that guy? Hmm. This is very interesting. I think I, I can see I can see why he is this way. Now, he hasn't said that he doesn't enjoy watching them, right? Correct. No, correct. But he doesn't love them as much as he should. I think right now I might like watching the Brooklyn Nets more than anyone else in the world and more than any other team in the NBA right now. Like I'm deeply, deeply into this group and probably to an unhealthy degree. So it's also fair for you to come back and just be like, Ben, you need to chill out. No, it's very fun. I, I love when player, I, I see I'm like the anti, 
I'm the anti like uh, traditional fan. I love when players team up because I'm like, oh, this would be fun. You know, I've always wanted to see this and the All-Star game is my only chance and the All-Star game sucks. Um, I look, <laughs> if I was a coach and God was like, you have to have DeAndre Jordan and the worst defense ever. But as a consolation, you can pick two players you get to watch every night any of your choice it, it would probably be like Harden and KD I mean it changes like night to night but I could see myself picking them like one out of every five times so there are benefits to loving and believing in them they really could pan out especially depending on how much defense matters I think that this season more than ever players are going to be so tired at the end of it that defense might not matter it really hasn't mattered um, as much the last season as ever before in history, which is basically a, a long-winded way of saying they the teams with worse defensive records than typical have been winning um, the playoffs and been going far further in the playoffs. But yeah, it, maybe it won't end up working. And as far as the depth thing, I do think that that really is going to matter and the nets are super top heavy but they're top heavy with guys like Harden, KD and Kyrie. Kyrie and and Kyrie and Kevin Durant, I know that they're going to be good in the playoffs. Harden, I would like to believe now with the best team that's ever been around him, he will be successful in the playoffs. So I could I could definitely see it panning out if he wants to end up believing in them. If he doesn't, that's fine. You know, I also love good defenses. Like you were saying earlier, Ben, you love um, the all-stars who try on defense. So do I. It's more fun to watch. I like when people dive for the ball. So <laughs> I, I understand both sides. Again, not taking a firm position. I am really sorry. This is not, I've disappointed your um, belief in me to make hot takes. No, not at all. What you've done is you've just completely excited Michael. I mean, he's going to be listening to this and he's going to be pumping his fist and he's going to say, yes, Ben thought he was coming out of this with a trump card that he could use against me for the rest of the season. Haley said he had to become a Nets fan. He was going to be all nervous about that. Instead, you're just completely justifying his opinions. I'm going to have to take this loss as much as it hurts me to say. I thought you made a number of really good points um, in that piece. I mean, first of all, scoring is way up. Individual scoring is way up. With no fans in the building, efficiency is way up. So offense absolutely is more important, relatively speaking, than it would be in a normal year. And that can very well continue into these playoffs if we continue to have empty arenas because not everybody's vaccinated and, the, and then most of the teams haven't ramped up their crowd. So I think that's an excellent point. Um, and then the other one in terms of, you know, being rested and, and all of that, the Nets are in prime position there because, you know, Kevin Durant is coming off a long rehabilitation, as is Kyrie Irving. Uh, Kevin Durant has missed a bunch of time this season, even though he's played huge minutes because the Nets hate going into their bench. He's kind of had this weird load management situation where like, you know, he's just missing a week for a hamstring or missing a week for contact tracing. It's keeping the minutes off of him. I think they're going to be going into the playoffs much more rested than the average team just because they had so much time off coming into the season. And then with respect to Harden, I mean, he went out in the second round, but he's also Terminator. You know, I mean, he hardly ever misses time due to injury, and I expect he's going to be rock solid from a physical standpoint in the playoffs as well. So that those are some of the reasons why actually I am bullish about Brooklyn's chances, and they're going to have to make some moves, no, no question. But uh, I think that uh, the unusual aspects of this NBA season do tend to play to Brooklyn's favor. Especially the crowd thing you mentioned, because you're, you were saying earlier that you are concerned. Why don't people love them? They should love them. They should enjoy them. 
I think I agreed with you. I actually can't remember. Um, but crowds are a huge advantage in the playoffs. So this year, if they don't have the biggest or the most intense fan base, I, I it's not going to hurt them. Well, yeah, that's the same argument for the Clippers too, right? Like if they play Lakers, Clippers at Staples, that's like seven Lakers home games uh, just because the Lakers fans will buy up all the tickets. If you play it in an empty Staples, that's like the best benefit possible for the Clippers. I mean, they would almost probably prefer that. In Brooklyn, yeah, they're used to some quiet buildings over the years, so it wouldn't be all that different. Um, you know, I, I hope that we can get to a point as a country where it's safe to allow crowds, but I fear that we're not going to probably get there quite by the uh, it's time for the playoffs. So Haley, here's here's a confession. This whole wind up, the first 45 minutes of this podcast, I was kind of just buying some time. And this this next segment is really going to be for the diehards because one of my favorite things about your social media presence, is it fair to call it an obsession with astrology? Would you go that far? Uh, I, uh, you know, I, I admit I was hesitant at first about tweeting astrology in relation to basketball because people can be so rude about astrology. But then I was like, man, who am I if not a woman who loves to make men uncomfortable? But then it was shockingly <laughs> really well received. And people were like, wow, tell me more. This is so fascinating. And what does this full moon mean in relation to, you know, and Mercury and retrograde and everything? I was like, wow, this is very fun. Um, I, I would not call it an obsession. I would say that I think it is a good way to inform what is going on right now? And I see no reason that that can't extend to basketball. So I had someone in my life regularly sending me these Instagram infographics uh, targeted towards Scorpios. I happen to be a Scorpio. And the regularity with which these graphics accurately described my behavior started to like, get into my head. And so I would just call myself astro curious at this point. Like, I don't know very much about it. All I know is the basics about kind of being a Scorpio and how that might influence my personality and all those kinds of things. But I was hoping you could kind of like lead me on a short guided educational opportunity here to kind of explore this because I imagine when you're watching games because you know so much about basketball and know so much about astrology, it's probably hard to like keep those two things separated. So are there moments when you're watching a game where a guy does something or maybe there's like a highlight level play or maybe there's a big comeback or maybe there's a fight between two players or they're yelling at the referee, whatever it might be, where you're sitting there and just thinking, God, that guy is just a peak Scorpio or that's just such typical Pisces behavior. Like, is it to that level for you? <laughs> okay, sometimes I will Google it. I'll be like, wait a minute. Well, I wonder. And then, you know, I'll be like, oh, of course. Now, because we talked about this, I thought there was a, a possibility that this was going to come up. I very quickly, and thank God, Michael is not on the show, so he doesn't have to suffer through this. I very quickly <laughs> am going to run through five examples. Oh, very quickly. You have are five you examples. I cannot wait. So these are NBA players who who regularly display their astrology signs in their actions and personality. Is that correct? Yes. Oh God, I cannot wait for this. Go, bring it okay. on. Number one. LeBron is the quintessential Capricorn because he's a workaholic. He's ambitious. He's serious when necessary. He has the ability to take a huge portion of the workload on team projects, or in this case, just, you know, with his team. And he, again, remember we were saying earlier, he uh, never says he's tired. He never admits to that. <laughs> Peak Capricorn. Okay, Reggie Jackson, quintessential Aries, super passionate and fiery, lacking in patience, quickly lose their cool. 
absolutely an Aries. Kemba, quintessential Taurus. I'm not sure if this is a well-known thing with him, but a couple years ago, I was talking to him, with him for a story, and he told me he's a huge homebody. He has a very close circle of friends, and that is the most stereotypical aspect for a Taurus. And I think that reflects on the court because he stayed in Charlotte for so long, even though it wasn't a great situation for him. And also, it, it's you know still actively taking a while to adjust to his his new place, his new team. Uh, Rudy Gobert, quintessential Cancer. He wants people to love and recognize his accomplishments. He doesn't want to feel left out. Of course, you'll remember the report last year where he said he wants more touches because he didn't felt feel like he was recognized properly. No, and he also like, I mean, he kind of wears his heart on his sleeve. I remember talking to him about how he communicates with his teammates. And, you know, after he got, he tested positive uh, for COVID-19, he went through that whole like kind of quote unquote breakup and then get back together reconciliation with Donovan Mitchell. And he told me by the time they got to the bubble that he was like really thinking long and hard about how he communicated with everyone. He wanted to be a more positive, constructive leader and have better positive body language because he felt like he was coming across unintentionally, almost as like a whiner or maybe being a little bit too shrill in his communications with his teammates. He wanted to kind of, you know, be more like, uh, let's all hug it out and then get uh, juice boxes after the game, you know, and, and just all yeah, be friends. Cancers care about their relationships. They, they do. Interesting. Interesting. Very okay. Last one. You've sold, you've sold me so far. I'm four for four with you. I'm completely hooked. Go ahead. What's the last okay, one? Okay. This, okay. This one was the, the one I really had to think about the, I listed the four immediately. Those were the first ones that came to mind. Kyle Kuzma, quintessential Leo. He's mm. very comfortable being the center of attention. Very, very confident. And he loves good style and luxury. Who hasn't seen his pregame outfits? They're wonderful. And it's wild, too, because he came in that way, right? Born Leo, I would say, based on your description. Because even as a rookie, some rookies come in, they're shy. It's yes, sir, no, sir. I mean, I remember Shea Gilgis-Alexander with the Clippers, right? It's a veteran team. He's just trying to keep his head down. And now you watch him on Oklahoma City. It's this big, wide smile personality. He's almost like you know that small market franchise player, kind of a total personality evolution Kyle Kuzma came in and was coos from day one with those clothes so yeah maybe that is uh maybe that is an example of the astrology so here's my question for you because about this time last year I was in Minnesota and I went through a battery of tests with their health staff with the Timberwolves uh, group you know they got me in the the workout room they got me on the basketball court missing jump shots they were testing my speed it was the second slowest of all time that they had ever recorded so I'm faster than one NBA player that's my claim to fame um, <laughs> but they also gave me this psychological test and Haley I kid you not it was scary scary accurate now granted it took a long time to complete it was just pages and pages of questions about how do I think how do I make decisions and all this but basically by the end of it, they said, you're essentially your Jimmy Butler, right? Like, And they didn't use those words, but that was kind of my takeaway. Like, You're a perfectionist. Um, you work really hard. You're very demanding on yourself and others. If you're put into leadership positions, you are going to make sure that everybody kind of like, you know, uh, puts in max effort. If they don't, that could be the opportunity for butting heads and, and really having some problems. And, um, you know, they they gave me this full breakdown and I, my, I was blown away. I was like, Wow. Then I start to find out it seems like some of those same personality traits might also be associated with Scorpios, if I'm not mistaken. So I was wondering, could you potentially give me like an astro astrological reading 
that we could use to kind of uh, supplement what I got from the Minnesota Timberwolves? Would that be possible? Okay, so you very kindly provided me last night with your birth time, date, and place. You denied so, social security me- number. Yeah, Passport I was, I was number, like, <laughs> the credit, credit card. card information is too far. That was weird, but we'll try again um, after uh, the show. I, you know, whatever. I guess you're a little private. You're a Scorpio, so that makes sense. But it was a little off-putting. I'm not going to lie. So based <laughs> on those, I discovered you are a Scorpio sun. You already know this. Pisces rising and a Capricorn moon. So I will very quickly, again, because if Michael does happen to listen to this out of you know, pity for him, I will very quickly run through these. Scorpio Sun, determined, loyal, ambitious, sometimes secretive, huge grudge holder. Mm. Mm -hmm. I think that's completely right so far. Okay. (laughs) I'm also a Scorpio Sun. So I'll just say, yes, I am also all those things. Pisces Rising, don't like to fit in one box. Generally, Mm. pretty open-minded when it comes to others. So it makes sense why you'd overlook Brooklyn's defense, or at least willing to give people a chance. (laughs) And you like to support and encourage others. I would say just by having me on this podcast, I did not even have to bribe him as much as people may think. This is very supportive of you. Capricorn Moon, again, very determined. Um, You'll remember the LeBron reading I just did. Very disciplined, can be very tough on themselves, but also can be tough on others. Um, And you pressure people to do better. So Wow. Wow. How do those line up? Honestly, almost exactly what the psychological profile told me. And I would say I agreed with every single one of those statements about me. That's kind of spooky, to be honest. Like, I I do think like if I gave this to like my loved ones and said this is the profile, I think they would all agree 100%. So here's my next question, because obviously I want to put this into practice. And maybe you're, you're not Uh, a full-time psychologist or psychiatrist. So maybe I have to pay 300 an hour for this kind of advice. So what should I be working on if I'm a, you know, if if I have these signs that you've delivered? So Scorpio sun, Pisces rising, Capricorn moon. I would say give yourself a break every once in a while and try to trust people. Although that is not advice that I take as well, but that is the number one Scorpio (laughs) thing is it can be very shady. So should probably try to be a little bit more open toward uh, trusting people. But yes, that is probably the the main thing. But they, there's a thing in astrology where they call them evolved signs. So it's like these are your natural traits. And then if you work on them, like this is what it can become. Everyone always touches on Scorpio's evolved sign. They're like, look, it won't kill you to trust someone. And I'm like, will it? Like, will it not? I don't know. I'm, I'm not yeah. sure. No, I'm with you. Like whenever people are like, be more trusting, like, yeah, sure. You be more trusting. See how that goes for you. Um, I got that natural defensiveness uh, deeply ingrained as well. So just last question here. I mean, what is something that you feel like you have learned about yourself, either just as a person or a media member or a podcast or just something you've learned about yourself from astrology? I'll do a double answer and it's kind of not even what you asked. So I've learned that all my toxic, my toxic traits are Scorpio related, which makes me like, okay, I can't even help it. You know, these, what do I, I should forgive myself too. I can't help it that I'm this way. My main media member, um, thing that I have learned is act really something that's not astrology related, but I was thinking about it yesterday because I was uh, talking to this young woman who was asking me about media stuff. And I think that my biggest 
advice for anybody who wants to uh, get into the industry, the biggest like thing I've I've picked up as a media member, and I can't believe I just said something so important like that as if I should be one person giving advice. But the biggest thing that made me a truly better writer other than editing from Matt Dollinger, who you mentioned earlier, he is just the absolute best. And Chris Ryan and Riley McAtee, who I absolutely treasure and am so indebted to, is reading books that have nothing to do with basketball and being more well-rounded and absorbing writing and styles that do not, you do not see in sports. And I think that's something you owe to readers. I know that's not what you were asking, but I just talked to that uh, young woman yesterday and I was like, wow, I really should say this because she seemed to like that. And so, yes, there you go. I said it. You're, you're speaking my language. Never took a journalism class in my life. Had no clue what I was doing. Went to college for, uh, you know, fiction, poetry, and nonfiction. And I do think that is the the best place to start. You know, find your ben, voice first. I never first. knew this about you. Wow. Yeah, find, find your voice first and then apply it wherever, you know, your, your passions take you. I, I think that's absolutely phenomenal advice, Haley. Well, look, I've taken up way too much of your time. I've also learned a lot about myself. I have a lot to chew on here, you know, this, this afternoon. I'm going to have to do some <laughs> deep soul searching. I really appreciate it. Um, the show is called Spinsters. Tell everybody where they can find it, how they can find it, and how they can follow you on social media. You can find us wherever you get your podcasts. And our social media is at SpinstersBW for Blue Wire. And that's on Twitter and Instagram. If you want to do the Spencer's challenge, it's spinning a basketball and drinking wine at the same time. I have been so impressed by everyone's coordination. My Twitter is at Haley O something and Jordan's Twitter is at underscore Jordan Liggins. Everyone, you know what to do. Follow the accounts, uh, subscribe to the show, give her a five-star review, uh, and, and thank her for her time as well. Haley, it was such a pleasure to have you on. I, I appreciate it. I wish uh, you and Jordan the best of luck with the show. I will be listening, and I'm sure a lot of our listeners will be as well. Guys, You, as always, you can email us, openfloormail at gmail.com, openfloormail at gmail.com. Find us on Apple Podcasts by searching for Open Floor. That's two words. When you find our page, scroll down. It will say rate and review tap five stars it's just that easy to help us spread the word i'm on instagram at ben Oliver, on twitter at ben Oliver. michael pina and i will be back as scheduled uh, usual programming uh, on thursday so be sure to check your feeds for that until then uh Haley, i will talk to you I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Zumo Play is your destination for endless entertainment. With a diverse lineup of 350-plus live channels, movies, and full TV series, you'll easily find something to watch right away. And the best part? It's all free. Love music? Get lost in the 90s with iHeart90s. Dance away with hip-hop beats and more on the iHeartRadio music channels. 
No logins, no signups, no accounts, no hassle. So what are you waiting for? Start streaming at play.xumo.com or download from the app and Google Play stores today. All you can stream with Zumo Play. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Puma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds to Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club.